0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here you go. One, two, three. Welcome to the Theatre Podcast. Intimate, personal conversations with theater's biggest talents. I'm your host, Alan Seals. Today we have a star of stage and screen, you may know him as Bobby from Smash and even originating Franz and Rock of Ages, Lucas and the Addams Family, and most recently the incredible Sheldon Plankton in SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. I have with me today, actor, writer, and director, Wesley Taylor. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So let's let's dive right in here. Uh, you look very cozy today, Thank by you. the way.
0: This is a new sweater.
1: <laughs> um, born in New Jersey, but grew up in Orlando. What's that story?
0: Well, uh, my parents met in Nyack, New York, and they sort of moved to Jersey when they uh, had my sister and I, and that lasted no time at all i I was in elizabeth new jersey for a month of my life before they moved us down to orlando florida which i spent 18 years living in orlando florida very strange place to grow up but i did
1: i've got book of mormon running through my head yep
0: orlando
1: orlando and did your parents live in china is that (laughs) i've got that here too they sure
0: did yeah they uh i moved to new york uh when I graduated drama school, and that's exactly the same time they moved to Xinjiang, China, a small town in the middle of nowhere.
1: Drama school being uh, North Carolina School of the Arts, Correct. which I'm very familiar with. That's my home, really? my old stop. Yeah, I, I went. I grew up in Wilkesboro, North oh, Wilkesboro. Wow. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So I, I I know that area. Where but did there, you go? Uh, I went to NC State.
0: Oh wow! Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's what that's world. my past. Yes. Um, You got the performing arts degree. But I guess being in Orlando, is that what got you into musical theater? What made you want to do this?
0: Uh, Definitely not geography. I I just had it in my blood. Like I just had it from a very early age before I could talk. I knew that I uh, would get drunk from people's attention. And um, the sound of laughter at something I said was the most delicious thing I could experience. So I just wanted to replicate that as much as possible and get in front of people as much as possible. and my mom was a music teacher, so she put my sister and I in church, you know, singing uh, for the congregation, uh, singing everywhere. And and so my sister was was a little shy, and, and I was desperate for more. And um, so I was singing all the time, and I was in front of people all the time. And then uh, at nine years old, I begged my mom to get me an agent. <laughs> so, really? That young? That's right. And so I signed with an agency in Orlando, started going out for – commercials and voiceovers and industrials and all these things and I went to an arts high school across the street from Universal Studios um so yeah there's a lot of entertainment in Orlando that's uh conducive to what I wanted to do I suppose but um no it was all me I mean it wasn't really like my environment that made me Hmm. yeah and
1: it's interesting is it arts high school like growing up where I did in a small town the concept of an arts high school, even now as an adult, to me, is kind of foreign. Uh, sure, yeah. But I guess when you have that many people around, it's... it's.
0: Uh... It was a pretty incredible high school, um, Dr. Phillips' visual performing arts magnet. And I can't say that I... Well, I, at that age, I feel like you're not really learning like a whole lot of extensive, detailed, specific craft... But you are, when you go to an art school like that, you are exposed to the greats at an early age, which, you know, a lot of people are like, why are you doing Shakespeare? You're 15 years old. How could you ever know what you're saying? And it's maybe there's some validity to that. But if you don't start introducing the language at an early age, then it doesn't Like by the time I got to college and we were doing Shakespeare all the time, I was like a step ahead of everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, so we were doing Chekhov and Moliere and Shakespeare and Ibsen all in high school. Um, and also a rigorous program like that is going to instill a professional work ethic and discipline that is unrivaled at other high schools. We would go on college tours and see all the best acting schools in the country. We would do like four main, five main stages a year. We would be doing all these like field trips, going to the Salem witch trial you know, up in Boston, you know, because mm-hmm. we had been studying the Crucible. And, you know, so I think it was a pretty formative time in my development as an artist, um, that that school. Uh, and then everything sort of fell into place at, at drama school.
1: Do you have a, a a tour or a show that you saw at that age that, you were, that stands out as like, I know I'm on the right path. I want to be like that.
0: Yeah, so I had, again, I had been... Um, singing and performing and being in front of people a lot growing up, but I, uh, and I knew I wanted to be an actor, but I, I wasn't, um, I think it was more the song and dance man. Uh, I was a performance sort of person. And then I was in my sophomore year of English class, uh, miss, miss Poro and she's a great teacher. And we were, you do those things where you're like, you're reading a play and, uh, Shakespeare, we read a lot more theater, uh, than regular English cause it was an arts high school. So, Um, we were doing Othello and she was assigning parts to the people in the class to read along and no one was allowed to read Iago (laughs) that was that was her role that she she had to read (laughs) and uh, no one could touch it and 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 truly when she performed it you know just reading the text I got chills all down my body and I was just like I fell in love with acting in that moment like just watching her work read the text of Othello, and just like instill it with such spe- specific evil wonder that not only was I like, that's my dream role, but also like, I desperately want to be trained and I want to learn how to do this um, more than going off and singing and dancing. I, I want to learn how to be an actor. Wow.
1: So, with the classical training and all of that background, naturally, Rock of Ages was a perfect
0: fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I mean, <laughs> I was doing I was doing Falstaff and Henry Four my final semester of college before gradu- graduating and, you know, booking my first show out of college this, you know, six months out of college, six months out of college. I was on Broadway doing a 80s trashy rock jukebox musical that I was actually embarrassed at the beginning, to invite my faculty to, because I thought they would, you know, lift their noses to it and, mm-hmm. and, and look down, um, and yet, of course, my whole faculty would come and, and prove me wrong and take me out afterwards and say, "This is the work. This is comedy technique. This is, you know, it, you know, the training applies to every media, every sort of." Yeah, it makes it makes sense. I mean. It comedy
1: is hard. I think comedy is some of the hardest theater you can do. Yeah. So to do it well, you know, congratulations. Uh, but what was it like What you were 21, 22, 21, 21 so making your Broadway debut? Uh, did you realize at that time kind of what that meant? Because no. I feel like, yeah, coming out of college, you're like, okay, what's my next step?
0: Broadway done. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like, I don't know. I had this moment a year out of college where all my dreams had come true (laughs) where like the big dreams of college were I want to live in New York City. I want to be on Broadway and I want to like be living with someone that I love, you know, like a boyfriend or whatever. And Mm -hmm. all those things within a year of school were happening. And I sort of had a little mental breakdown. I just (laughs) was like, Oh my God, I guess I'll just die now. Like there's nothing to (laughs) live for moving, but there's no dreams. There's no, you know, and, um, you have to make new dreams for yourself. You have to, you know, raise the bar higher if if you've been lucky enough to achieve some of those goals, um, so that you always have somewhere to go. Um, I mean, it, and it was even not only were you on Broadway
1: making your debut, but it was uh, originating a role, yeah. which was you know that much yeah, cast album, yeah, cast all of, album, all, all that. That, that. And so then that was two thousand nine. The next Tony year, twenty ten, yeah, Tony Awards, <laughs> all of that. Twenty ten, you went into the Adams Family. Mm-hmm. And then you're next to Nathan Lane and BB Newer. <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of them. Uh, like, what was that like for you? Obviously, you were—you you thought you were at the pinnacle in '09. You hit 010
0: and you—yeah, I would like to step go, up. I would love to go back and sort of recreate some of those, um, some of that experience. Just, just—I was so terrified. I was such a scared kid um, with Nathan and BB. I just like. I, you know, I grew up watching Nathan and idolizing him. And so it was it was scary um, that, you know, it was a cast full of Titans. It wasn't just Nathan and B.B. The supporting cast was Terrence Mann, Carolee Carmelo, Kevin Chamberlain, Jackie Hoffman. I mean, it was insane. <laughs> it was. Um, but that show was a was a big lesson in expectation because, uh, you know, Rock of Ages was the show that exceeded everyone's expectation and just kept on being the gift that kept giving. Um, we got amazing reviews on like what we all thought. Uh, we we were transferring to Broadway. We were getting nominated for awards. We were like it just kept it lasted for six years. Um, no one expected that. this this show about white snake songs and poop jokes, you know, no <laughs> one expected
1: everyone loves poop jokes.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's a very smart show. It really is. It's like the template for jukebox and you know, Jersey Boys. Rock of ages like these are the these are the success stories of jukebox um and that original cast was so incredible and anyway that the experience of rock of ages was was um so surprising whereas adam's family i think a lot of expectation went into that project uh just with all the names attached and then the creative team was very fancy the the money that was being poured into the production. Um, and so that expectation can also hurt, too, and, and um, not live up. How did that feel? Um, it was hard. I felt like I was getting my PhD in show business. There was a lot of drama. There was a lot of... We did an out-of-town tryout after all these workshops, and, you know, the coldest city, Chicago in the winter. Like, it, my parents were getting divorced. I was going through a breakup. Um, Adam's family... It was tricky. It was trying because I think everyone expected it to be the next great American musical, and <laughs> it was really struggling to find its voice and its direction and its focus. It's um, you know all of the stuff, all the material that I auditioned with as Lucas. Mm-hmm. None of none of those scenes or songs ended up in the show.
1: <laughs> really?
0: So imagine auditioning for a character. And then he's unrecognizable when you're doing it. It's just, it was a lot for me to digest. Uh, there were some, I'm just like trying not to say the right thing, the wrong thing. I, uh, I was challenged and tested by people, creatively, cast, myself. Um, the whole experience mm-hmm. was was difficult, but I am... A better artist because of it I think and you know what's amazing is the legacy of the Addams Family I mean the legacy is it's the most produced high school musical like three or four years in a row I'm like flown all over the country to coach productions of the Addams Family at high schools no kidding it's amazing well that's impressive yeah and
1: that ended, uh, it closed in 20, 2010, the same year, for right? For a couple years, yeah. Oh, a couple years? Okay. Yeah. I did
0: it for the first year on Broadway. Right. And then
1: in 2012, 2013, of course, went to Smash. Sure, yeah. So, in I guess during the break, what made you decide to leave Adam's Family in the first place, but then how did you get into Smash?
0: Okay, Adam's Family was the longest thing I'd ever done in my life. Um I mean, Rock of Ages, all in all, was a year because off Broadway and on. Uh, but Adam's family with the workshops and the out of town and the—I mean—that was a couple years of my life. Um, a year on Broadway, and like I said, I was going through a lot personally, and the show was creatively challenging, and I—I I just felt like I needed to leave, actually, and. Since I'm an advocate for mental health and talking about mental health, I will just openly admit right here that I experienced anxiety and depression for the first time during that job in a major way. And I had to get on medication, and I had to take therapy, and I had to start meditating, and I had to start really being proactive about my mental health because it was really in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And that was during the Adams Family. So I think I needed a, a, a break. It also helps that I booked Tales of the City in San Francisco the month before the year contract was over. That was very convenient because I had a job lined up that I was going to go do. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's not Broadway. It's not that fancy paycheck. But it was a city I'd never been to with a property I really enjoyed. I loved the books by Armistead Maupin. And this was a beloved character, a, a, a gay iconic character um, that I was very excited to play. Mouse, Michael Tolliver in Great. Tales of the City. So, yeah. But then uh, you went to Smash
1: audition for Smash. After that,
0: well, was it after?
1: Yes, that was that was after Tales of the City. Yes, yes. So is I guess uh, as a, an industry insider question, does your agent do you have separate agents to send you for TV uh, versus theater? And because Smash was basically televised
0: theater, was that process any different from a normal
1: TV audition?
0: No, so you typically, as an actor, you have a um, legit or uh, theatrical agency Mm -hmm. and then a commercial agency. So like commercials, voiceovers, print, whatever, all that is an agency. Uh, A lot of people don't have those, but I I have that, which is like where I, Abrams artists send me out on commercials and voiceovers. And then um, right now I'm with innovative artists um, as my theatrical representation and they're the legit. They send you in for TV, film, and theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, not a different agent for Smash and, and Broadway. Um, interesting. That, that casting was an, it was an interesting uh, chain of events because uh, <laughs> I was moving to Los Angeles. I had made the decision that I wanted to try my luck in sunny L.A. and be going in for a lot more TV and film. But right before I left for L.A., I got this audition from Telsey here in New York City to go in for this new TV show that Steven Spielberg was producing and that the pilot was getting picked up. And, you know, I'd heard, of course, I had, of course, heard about it, but I, I, you know, it wasn't on the air yet. It wasn't, you know, it was just a lot of talk. And so I went in um, for Sam, which ended up being played by Leslie Odom Jr. Mm -hmm. Um, I went in for that role, uh, put myself on tape, uh, a multitude of different ways. Um, not to sound incredibly offensive, but I was asked to do it um, very effeminately, a flaming, uh, sort of homosexual. And then I was also asked to do it uh, very masculine and he was they they thought you know he's a sportsy guy and so maybe they want to go in the direction of like very butch masculine and then they wanted the option of being fl- flamboyant if in case they wanted it so i was you know um and then i went to a dance call and then i moved to la and i didn't hear anything for like a couple weeks oh no A week later, I heard that Leslie Odom Jr. got Sam. And I was like, oh, that's a very different direction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then, like, the next day, they said I was on hold for someone in the... Someone who played a dancer in the ensemble who would be recurring only for a few episodes at that time. Uh, And... That character who originally they wanted African-American, now that Leslie was Sam, they were like entertaining me as this character. And uh, then I was on hold for that for a week. And then um, I was told I got it, which (laughs) I had just moved to L.A. So I'm glad I didn't get a car at that point. I was just renting and I just moved right back to New York. Wow. Yeah. So you were literally in L.A. for like a week?
1: week Two weeks. Two two
0: weeks, yeah. that's crazy. That was the first time I moved there. (laughs) <laughs> right,
1: so then you've fast forward to uh, Billy Green, right? So, yeah, well, I guess well, that was, well, ha- Billy that's Green been was happening ha- all at the same Billy time. Billy Green
0: was happening during Adam's Family. Um, yeah, Adam's Family is when Billy Green started. And that's mostly because I was feeling creatively stifled and I, I needed to do something.
1: So, what is Billy Green,
0: for those who don't know? Billy Green is a, f- uh, a fame whore monster. Um, he's the, the worst person that you meet at auditions. Um, he's also part of me. He's um, a, <laughs> <laughs> he's an awful alter ego that I try to stifle, but he is also someone I love. He's he's a, a dark cloud inside of me that I that I know I'm familiar with, and he's the guy who. <laughs> a true story. This actually, I actually, this is a true story. I wrote it into a play, but I auditioned for Juilliard um, when I was in high school. And I didn't know much about the best schools, but I knew that Juilliard was the best. And so I was like, well, I need to be at the best institution. It's Juilliard or bust. And so I, I went to that audition in all black, turtleneck, black slacks, black jazz slippers. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I did my two monologues you know, my contrasting classical and contemporary. And they said, do you have anything else for us? And I said, classical or contemporary? And they said, "Uh, uh, classical, I guess. And I said, Shakespeare, Ibsen, or Moliere? (laughs) And at this point, they're, like, getting annoyed. And they're like, "Uh, uh, Shakespeare. And I'm like, comedy, tragedy, or history? (laughs) (laughs) They picked history. I think they were trying to, you know, See the cracks. But I sure did Henry IV. I did Prince Hal on the, on the battle lines. It was just quantity over quality. And I wanted to prove my theatrical prowess, <laughs> <laughs> my knowledge of the theater. And uh, I did not get in, thank God. Uh, thank God, because I needed to learn that lesson. And um, ended up where I was supposed to be, North Carolina School of the Arts, which I, I love and I wouldn't change a thing. But that person, that part of me, who auditioned for Juilliard and prepared 15 monologues, is Billy Green. And so I just tried to exploit that ugly part of me, and um, it made for some pretty good comedy. And I, I made sure to include everyone in the Broadway community, all the the, the greats like Audra and Nathan and Kristen Chenoweth and Patrick Wilson, and I just got them all in there. And uh, I don't know how I did that, but I did. So it's a web series. You never, never actually. Oh, said I'm sorry. That. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Billy Green is on YouTube. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty bare bones, like dollar fifty operation. We shot it on a point and shoot camera. There's no, there's no budget, but it's Scott Hart, and
1: um, you should check it out. Do you? Uh, I guess. uh real quick, we'll back up. Where can they find it on YouTube? Just search
0: Billy Green. Yeah, I think I think you just type in Billy Green into the YouTube search. I don't. That was before I took it seriously in well, terms of like video production we'll find it put it in the show
1: notes for this yeah one. yeah cool. um do you enjoy writing as much or more or I guess in a different way how do you enjoy writing versus you know
0: taking already written material and turning it into a character sure I um I, I, I love writing and also I never took myself seriously until about five or six years ago when I started making money doing it um I just, I always have been a writer. I, I've always like uh, written things down, like sketches or journaling or, you know, uh, scripts all the time. Uh, in, we did these things in, in, in college called Intensive Arts, which was like your, the students' opportunity to, to create their own stuff. And my showcase scene, which, you know, you usually, for your senior showcase, your senior presentation for the industry, casting directors and agents and managers, um, I wrote uh my my scene which you're not supposed to do so i lied and said it was from a book of short plays by daniel parker you've never heard of daniel parker what's wrong with you um (laughs) but it it it, it was a, a scene that i wrote and that scene actually was called the audition and it was two characters carson and billy and that ended up being the pilot of billy green but i uh Again, I was I was always doodling, writing sketches, things like that for for years, and and then starting to make web series, and then starting to develop a little bit of a fan base from my web content, and thinking like, oh, I might I might be good at this. Uh, I took playwriting in college as my academic, but I, again, I never took it seriously, um, and it wasn't until "It Could Be Worse," which was the web series after Billy Green, where "It Could Be Worse" was my first venture at a narrative storyline because um, Billy Green, yeah, I guess that was connected in a, a sort of narrative, but loosely. Um, it Could Be Worse was the first time I was like, okay, I'm going to streamline this cohesive narrative um, with the central protagonist, and I'm going to tell a story. And It Could Be Worse was still very autobiographical, you know, stuff about, about my life and what what makes me anxious and keeps me up at night and, and putting that into into content. And when we sold... It could be worse to Hulu. I said, okay, now I need to take this seriously, I think, because I'm starting to get paychecks for it. So maybe I should, like, you know, study this and practice it daily and keep generating. And you still do. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll,
1: we'll get to that. I want to go back to the theater side, and we're fast-forwarding now, I guess, to 2016, and we're talking about Sheldon. Yeah. Sheldon Plankton, yeah. that little guy. Uh is that your favorite role that you've done? Is that safe to say? <laughs>
0: um, it was. It's definitely up there. It's definitely like in the top three or four, I'd say, because he was just so deliciously fun, so outrageous. That's like... It's like my, you couldn't go too big with it. That's him. my boyfriend's favorite word With for me uh, is outrage. I prefer outrageous to extra. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. No, uh, 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 Sheldon felt like me because, you know, this is like this little, feisty, very active, energized creature who is suffering from a Napoleon complex <laughs> and uh, likes being teased and humiliated, but also hates it. And there's just a lot of eccentricities about this character that I identify with, SpongeBob. which is funny because it's a little green cartoon character.
1: Yeah, oh, it's amazing. SpongeBob, I was going to say, it- is still, I mean, R.I.P. SpongeBob. Yeah. Such a good show. It was one of my, still is one of my favorite all-time musicals. I
0: think out of the three Broadway shows I've I've been in, it was the best show I was in, and it's the least successful, which is interesting.
1: And I, there's so many reasons why, which is another yeah. episode for another time. Um, but the character itself, do you? I guess he's a he's a caricature. Um, and it's not your traditional sort of, you know, similar character like Lucas from Adam's Family, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a real Sheldon Plankton in real life. Like, that could not happen. How do you approach that? You get the script, and how do you start forming this person in your head?
0: Um, well, I, I try to find my way in. I try to find Wesley in it, um, which, you know, I think goes against a lot of my early preconceived notions of acting, which is that I have to always be a chameleon and transform into you know i have to be daniel day lewis i have to go to russia for two years and learn how to be a shoe cobbler to play it you know which is i find a little silly now um i try to find my way out, i try to find where i can connect and and so with with plankton he was ambitious and he was uh, there's just a lot of things that i was like oh i see that and i see that and i see that and that is what i relate to uh, and then I would just, you know, try to devour the the cartoon because I wasn't really very familiar with SpongeBob. Actually, I was I sort of missed that boat. I was um, I was Doug and Rugrats and Hey Arnold and yeah. I was a little older than the SpongeBob generation, I think. But uh, so I just started, you know, watching it on YouTube all day long and um, you know studying the voice. And it's also like they sort of tailor made it to me as well. I mean, like they. Someone else played Plankton in the out of town tryout, and uh, when it got to Broadway, they added things to the character that would highlight my strengths. Um, and just from a technical standpoint, they added in a dance break in the hip hop. They added a speed rap. They added you know this and that, uh, f- really fun things that I got to add to the performance. The
1: well, speed rap is great. I didn't realize that wasn't in the preview. Oh, no. Or the yeah. uh, out-of-town tryout. Yeah. Well, if
0: you listen to the cast album, which was recorded with the cast from the out-of-town tryout, um, it's not in there.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a miss. I love yeah. that. That was one of my favorite numbers yeah, as it well. is a
0: miss, isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> then, I guess, uh, the question here, there were six years between... Adam's family and SpongeBob, mm. and we sort of talked about this. Uh, but did you go through any sort of reality check after doing the back-to-back roles and then going and finding yourself without a Broadway show for so long? You oh, said absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
0: that was really hard. Yeah, I mean i I was so stinking lucky to have a consistent paycheck every week for five years. Like that doesn't happen for actors right out of college like I, I was so lucky and i did it, it i definitely took it for granted i definitely um i didn't save like i should have i went from rock to adams to smash and i was like oh i'm invincible i'm gonna i'm gonna be on broadway forever i'm gonna be employed forever and so i i, I never i never saved like i should have i was living by myself on central park west and taking cabs everywhere i mean it was just irresponsible so my hard knocks in the second half of my twenties were important to have, um, in terms of, of just financial management. I mean, for the for the actor, for the artist, financial management is <laughs> so much of it. And uh, my boyfriend Isaac Powell, who's now you know starring in Once on This Island, is is doing so well. And I'd like to think a lot of that has to do with my <laughs> influence and my horror stories. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's a big advice for anyone uh, is is to save save the money because nothing lasts forever in this business. Um, and you will go through ebb and flow no matter how talented you are or how lucky you are, or how in demand you are at a given moment, there will be moments when you're not. Um, and not to say that I didn't work plenty during the second half of my twenties, but you have to understand that when you're doing you know guest stars, even like recurs, um, lots of development for theater labs, workshops, readings, you know, you're doing concerts, you're doing all these events and things. It's great, but to live off of those paychecks is very tricky, living hand-to-mouth, paycheck-to-paycheck. And especially if you've sort of made a name for yourself a little bit, and you can't go back to driving Uber or, or waiting on the producers at the restaurant and stuff. So it's tricky, and you start... You know, you learn how to collect unemployment between each gig. You learn how to um, <laughs> this this awful cycle of like maybe you accrue some debt and then you get a job and you pay off the debt and then you get you know it's oh. just I know it's yeah. it's it's hard. Um, no one said this was easy. Uh, so especially you know when I got to when I got to SpongeBob, I was I really did not take it for granted because I was like oh now I'm older and wiser and I know how rare this is. And I know how fortunate this that I am right now. And um, So, Spongebob was probably my favorite Broadway experience not because, uh, I mean, Franz was just a gift to play. I mean, that was a stupid Broadway debut. I had an 11 o'clock number. I really took it for granted. It was a, just an amazing uh, treat to play Franz in Rock of Ages. But, For the most part, generally, SpongeBob SquarePants is uh, something that I could really take and appreciate, and not take for granted, and enjoy, and soak it all in.
1: And and, I mean, as with anything you've been in, the cast just, yeah, spot on, incredible, amazing. Um, And you've even uh, continued to work. I think with you know your friends, you seem to be actually genuine friends with a lot of the people. Yeah,
0: such a great from the cast. Yeah, it's like the most pure cast I've ever worked with. We loved each other a lot. And now it's safe to say, correct
1: me if I'm wrong, that you are not currently employed on Broadway. How dare you? Um, Do you hate the question, what are you doing now?
0: (laughs) What's going on? Hey, Wesley, how you been? What are you doing? Let me tell you something. When an actor is unemployed, nothing gives more anxiety (laughs) 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 than asking what they're working on, what they got coming up. And yet, Everyone does it. Like, I mean, even I'm guilty of doing it to my friends, you know, because, and you don't mean it to be a negative thing. Like you, you're, you mean it to be like some, you're just excited about that person's career and you're, you know, that they're so talented that they must be working on something else. Uh, They must be employed at all times and they must have a million projects lined up. Um, But it's just, it's, it's such a hard thing uh, in between gigs and, and I've definitely been in between gigs many times before, um, so I've. It's just a funny sort of aspect of being an actor, um, and then it's also this <laughs> this tricky thing of like if I am employed, but it but I haven't signed the contract yet, or it hasn't been announced yet, or we're negotiating the 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 points of the contract, or I think I'm going to do this project, but. I have this audition next week for something that will jeopardize it and I want that more, you know, that kind of stuff. I can't talk about any of that or I'll lose it potentially. So that's another thing is, is you don't want to talk about these things, but you obviously want to provide people with, with some good news. Uh, I don't want people to think I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch, uh, as watching the time go by. I, I, I I'm a proactive person. I'm, I'm productive I'm proud of my productivity and I I want people to 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 know that but at the same time it's hard because I definitely don't want to be one of those douchebags who are just like oh I can't talk about it right now like something's very exciting in the works but I can't you know like I don't want to be that person and yet I don't want to not give an answer and I also don't want to deprecate myself to death and like say nothing's going on. So you know
1: and, what I'm about to ask, right? Oh Jesus!
0: Well, this didn't I just give you my answer? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is, I may or may not have several things going on. A couple things I I can't discuss because they're not like totally hundred percent confirmed yet. Fair. Yeah. Fair. But yeah. I'll. But uh. But I'm enjoying my freedom in going to theater almost every night. I'm going to cabarets. I'm going to my friends' concerts and shows, and I'm getting dinner at reasonable hours and i'm I'm seeing people that I haven't seen in a long time, and life is fulfilling without a job. I don't need uh, my entire purpose to be defined by the show I'm currently in.
1: Well, you've also done some modeling for today ticks. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus, okay.
0: I mean, that's that's some good stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And you yeah. have pet frogs. Yes. Well, I'm sort of the stepdad because they're Isaacs. Oh. Yeah. But I love them like they were my own. <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. You hear that, Isaac?
1: Yeah. <laughs> On the record, he loves them like his own. Um, so, cool. We're going to wrap up here with uh, a couple of the standard questions we ask uh, okay. everybody here. So, just in general, what motivates you?
0: Huh? <laughs> Why did that? I... Oh,
1: Insert Jeopardy music
0: here. You know, I am going to see a lot of theater right now because good theater inspires me to do theater. Reading a good book, reading a good script, inspires me to write. Seeing an amazing quality cable show makes me propelled to create and write and i'm inspired by other people Um, other people motivate me other artists works of art that touch me and affect me that resonate with me that's what motivates me and pushes me to keep going to tell stories um yeah is that okay it's
1: great thanks there's no wrong answer okay what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path and i think
0: you probably already answered this I'd say, relax, stop taking yourself so seriously, uh, get over yourself, uh, be kinder. actually, you know what? I would say you know, I would stop taking yourself seriously, but at the same time, I had this crazy work ethic and discipline that I think while it's silly and we can make fun of it now, it really did you know start a focus in me at an early age that I think was very good. even though it was myopic, it was like very strong, focused energy towards a common goal. Um, so I maybe I wouldn't I wouldn't change that about myself. oh, I would not quit the piano.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is something that
0: I am so mad at myself that I stopped. my, my parents uh, made my sister and I practice the piano for an hour a day. Uh, for about, I'd say I was doing it for about five or six years. Um, And when I was 11 or 12, um, they suddenly had this, like, epiphany as parents that they shouldn't uh, force us to play every day or something. They were like, you can play another instrument if you want to, but you, but you can stop playing. And I, of course, took them up on it because I hated being forced to practice every day for an hour, but it is one of my biggest regrets. Mine too, actually. I had several
1: instruments my parents yeah. let me quit, and I'm like, just saxophone. This, Why not the saxophone or well, the
0: violin? The thing about the sax is the sax a little bit went out of style in terms of like... Just in terms of reading music. Oh, I know. No, like, but the violin could have been very beneficial for yes, you to this yes. day. And I think, you know, if I would play the piano... Now, it would be so helpful. I could write a musical Mm -hmm. instead of just plays. Yeah. I thought
1: you were going to say save your money because that's what you mentioned (laughs) earlier. Oh, yes. oh oh, oh,
0: oh, And save your
1: money. Yes. Um, And then last question here. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what show would you see? Oh,
0: my goodness. That's really hard. That's the point. I think one of the best shows in musical theater, a true masterpiece that I connect to and it resonates with me on a deep level forever is Cabaret. And most of the things that Fosse touched have a special place in my heart, but Cabaret specifically, Candor and Ebb, and the historical context of what was happening tied into like, I don't know, the most brilliant musical storytelling and iconic characters. Um, So I would say cabaret. Fair. All right. So on the socials,
1: where can we find you?
0: Uh, On Instagram, I am Sir Wes Tay Tay. On Twitter, I am just Wes Tay Tay. (laughs) See, on Instagram, I demand respect. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I have a Facebook fan page, Wesley Taylor. Uh, that's it. And then on YouTube search of course for, uh, for Billy but, Green. Uh, Indoor boys and it could be worse, which were the last two web web series that've I've created are, are on Vimeo. Um, or you could go to indoorboys.tv or it could be TV. But yeah, Billy Green's on, on YouTube. Wonderful. Well,
1: thank you very much for coming. Thanks for having me. this was fun. You can always connect with me at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter or via Facebook at facebook.com slash official theater podcast. And uh, if you could take a moment, also just go rate the podcast, give an honest feedback. And uh, I do read that. So your feedback is very important. You can also connect via email feedback at the theater podcast.com. I think that's all I've got as always. Thanks to our friends Jukebox the Ghost for providing the music for this podcast. See you next time.
0: Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful.